right. If you have your Bibles, grab those. We will start out in Luke 9. Um, we're going to cover a few chapters um, this morning in the book of Luke. Um, but Luke 9 is where we'll start. Um, and so what we're going to do is just look for a moment at what the church traditionally celebrates as Palm Sunday. Um, and so today, uh, in, in the church year, what we do is we traditionally uh, mark this day as the entrance of when Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the very last week of his life. Uh, he's headed to the cross. He's headed to that reality of what, uh, what he's going to rescue and redeem fallen man, the very purpose of, of why he came uh, to, to make a way where there was no way. And that's, that's what I loved about those songs that we've sang this morning. It is just a reminder of how much we need him. It's a reminder of uh, we are hopeless apart from him. I mean, Waymaker, I need you, Jesus, absolutely. I mean, it just, it's constantly just reminding us of our great need of Christ and, and his sacrifice on the cross for, for us. Um, and, and so what we're going to see is, is Jesus leading to the cross here. It, it's a great, great event uh, that, that has so much beautiful insight as well as great misunderstanding along with it. So much beautiful insight of who Jesus really is, what he's come to accomplish and do. And all the while, there is so much misunderstanding that surrounds it. So much missing of who Jesus is and what he was accomplishing. And so the great insight uh, from this week that we uh, celebrate as Palm Sunday is this, is that Jesus really is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He really is God in the flesh. He's the Messiah, the son of David, the long-awaited ruler of Israel, the fulfillment of all that God had promised, all that God had told us that was coming. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating. But the great misunderstanding that surrounds it is that he would enter Jerusalem and by his mighty works take his throne and make Israel free from Rome. That's the great misunderstanding. That's the great fallacy that, that the people of the day believed, that the people of the day had hoped for. And Jesus didn't accomplish and do it the way that they thought He would. It didn't happen the way that they had hoped for. See, they thought that He would take the throne and that he would rule and reign in a different way. But what we know from the scriptures, what we see in the story is that he takes his throne and he does it through voluntarily suffering. Laying down his life and dying. And then what? Resurrecting from the dead. And I think as I read and as I look and as I see the story and even how it plays out in our world today. What, what breaks my heart is how many people miss who Jesus really is. How many people miss what Jesus is really doing it, it just it just crushes it should crush us we should feel the weight of that so as I was studying and reading I'd, I'd come across a story uh, a long time ago and it's just a story that kind of stuck with me and it was set in 1903 1903 in December and, and after many attempts you, you may know these, these these guys here you've got Orville and Wilbur Wright 1903 December what had happened is they finally were successful in their flying machine and they got it off of the ground and got it in the air December 1903. And so they're so excited about this accomplishment. They're so excited about what's, what's happened. What they do is that they, they telegraph uh, their sister. And what they say is, sis, we've, we've actually flown. We've, we've did it. We've accomplished it. And, and we'll be home for Christmas. So their sister, just excited about their accomplishment, uh, excited about what they've done, uh, she runs down to the local newspaper and she gets there and she talks to the, uh, to the editor of the newspaper and shows them the telegraph. 
And, and as he looks at it and he reads over it, he, he glances at it and he says, man, that is awesome. That is great. So the boys are going to be back for Christmas. All the while missing the great accomplishment of flying. The first time ever. Nothing has ever flown. And they get the plane off the ground. And that's what she was excited about. That's what she was celebrating. And, and I can imagine there was probably some more uh, conversation that would come from that. There was some more, uh, uh, are, are you kidding me, dude? Like, like read it again. And, and he probably read it again. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. I mean, I, mean, I can just imagine how that, that conversation continued after that. But, but what had happened was he, he totally missed the big news. He, he, who cares if they come home for Christmas? They, they've done something that's never been done before. They've accomplished something that, was, that seemed to be impossible and they did it. They made it happen for the first time in human history. Man had flown. And so my hope for us this morning is that as we focus in on the story and realize what we, we celebrate today and on, that we'll just feel the weight of what took place on that day. That, that, that we'll see and understand greater as Jesus makes his final ascent to the cross. I mean, my hope and my prayer is that we don't miss what he did that day. My prayer and my hope is that we don't miss what he's accomplishing on this day that we celebrate as Palm Sunday, which is going to lead us to Resurrection Sunday. So I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into the scriptures here in a moment. Father, help us. Help us to hear. God, and I'm praying not just with ears, God, but with our heart. God, that we would hear what you would have to say this morning in this place. God, that we would be in tune with who you are, and what you've accomplished. What you were accomplishing that day. What you're accomplishing this day. And Father, what you have accomplished. Father, help us here. Help us be changed by the reality of who you are. Father, I, I pray so desperately this morning, if there be one here that don't know you, if there be one watching online or later this week, maybe as someone uh, uh, pulls this up and watches this service, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and that your Holy Spirit would draw and that your Holy Spirit uh, would help them understand and hear and see who you truly are. Father, help us not miss. Move in a mighty way. It's for your glory. And we pray. Amen. 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 So I guess as I've read this week and as I've looked at this story and as I've thought about and as I've prayed through, uh, something that just always comes to my mind is this, is, is, is in the scriptures, sometimes what can happen is, is, is that we forget that these are real people in a real time. Like it's a book that we'll open up and we'll read and we know Paul and we know, uh, we know all the characters, we know the disciples, we, we know David from old, we, we, we know all the characters in the story, but, but we, I think sometimes we can forget uh, that, that they're real people like you and I living in a real time like our day. Like, like our day is a real day in a real time and, and one day people will, will look back in books and they'll read about our day and they'll read about the things that happened in our day and, uh, and, and they may miss even the fact that, that we were really real here in this moment as there's people really real here in the moment we're reading about. And so I don't want us to, to, to romanticize that or, or miss that for a moment. They're, they're, they're normal people just like you and me. People with struggles, people with victories, people with just a number of things happening. The culture in that day, what's taking place, what's transpiring, what's happening even in that day, just like our day, it's real and it's there. And I know I joke about how thankful I am that, it, that I wasn't in that day because it just seems like they're just so messed up. They've got so many issues. I mean, how in the world does Jesus come along and you miss him? 
I mean, how in the world the stories and the things that he's accomplished and done, how does he do that? And the people just, they, they wax over it and they miss it. And I think about those things. And I realize the exact same thing happens in our day. The exact same thing takes place in our day. Shoot, it takes place in my life. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I just kind of uh, uh, maybe brush off maybe God doing something as to, oh, well, that's, just, that's how it's supposed to, it just happens like that. It, it just works that way. It just goes in that form or that fashion. And I guess what scares me is one day whenever uh, I'm sitting in that nursing home or out on that front porch and my days are starting to wind down and maybe, maybe my boys or maybe my boys uh, who has boys or has kids or however that works out and I'm there uh, and they come to me and they're like, oh, all right, I'm going to call myself Poppy. I don't know why, but I'm just going to be a Poppy. It just kind of sounded cool in the moment. But uh, Poppy, tell me about that day. And I begin to kind of tell them the stories of, of all that had happened and all that took place. And they start to ask me some of those questions. And just tell us about this. Tell us about that. And, and I guess I just kind of shudder, like, what will be written about us? Uh, like, like, you realize, like, you're living history right now, Right? I mean, think about it over the last uh, 10, 20 years, the things that we've endured, the things that we've seen, the things that we've lived through. I, I mean, I just, off the top of my mind, 9-11. I mean, that, that's going to be in books for kids to read about. This pandemic thing, that's going to be in books for, for people to read about. Gonna, are you, you lived through that? Oh my gosh, like there was a time you couldn't come out of your house? Like I heard there were big like grasshopper monsters that would get you if you did. Tell me about it. I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, just the stories that will be flying around. I mean, I just, I just, I think of those type of things as I look at this story and I've read about it. I just shudder to think what's going to be written, what's going to be said. And, and I think what takes me to that place is, is, is this thought. Did, did I, or, or this generation, this day, did we continue to make the same mistakes that we read about in the days of old? Do we continue to struggle about and fight, fight against? Do we just give in? Do we just give way? Do we just allow? Or do we stand up and fight with everything in us to be different? To break the trend? To make the glory of our God known at all costs? Regardless of how crazy, regardless of how uh, out of this world it may seem. Did, did we miss the opportunities? Did we miss it like the people of this day that we're going to read about? So, so to set the stage and kind of get us where we're going to be, uh, Luke 9.51, if you don't have your Bible to be on the screens, th this is what God's Word says. Luke says in 9.51, it says, when, when the days drew near for Him to be taken up. So the life of Jesus is winding down. When those days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. See, this is a very, very important text. I don't know if you write in your Bible, I don't know if you underline, I don't know if you circle, but, but this is a, a very, very good one to kind of uh, put an asterisk beside, to put a note beside, because this is very important, because something in Jesus in this time changes Something takes place in this moment when this happened, when the days drew near for him to be taken up. He sets his face to go to Jerusalem. That changes everything. So from this point on in the scriptures, we see Jesus focused on the direction that's going to take him to the cross. We're going to see him run headlong in that direction. 
The very turning point of Jesus' ministry happens here. See, after this, Galilee would no longer be the place where he resided. It would no longer be the place that, that he would spend a lot of his time. He would make short little quick trips to Galilee and even go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. But those are just brief little visits. They were only interludes that would eventually lead to his final journey to Jerusalem for the very purpose of laying down his life. So let's fast forward a few minutes in the story, a little bit in the story. Luke 19. 19. Turn, turn to the right, 10 chapters. Luke 19, starting in verse 28. So in that moment, everything changes for Jesus Something happens so drastic in his life. And then we get to this point in the story. Luke, Luke 19 verse 28. And when he had said these things, what are these things that he's talking about? See, as, as the work of Jesus uh, to what his disciples hoped would kind of be the climax here in Jerusalem, they, they thought a successful worldly uh, type of revolution was about to take place. That would lead to the kingdom of God being established in this moment, in this day, in this time. But what Jesus had done was just finish telling them this parable about the ten minas. And the minas are just a, a measure of money that's equal to a little more than three months' salary. And the parable here that Jesus tells was intended to correct their hearts by warning that the Messiah was going to be rejected. And there's going to be this period of time where Jesus is going to be absent. He's not going to be here with them. And what his followers need to do in this time of absence is engage. Don't check out. Don't give up. Don't quit. But you be more intentional. You engage all the more. Because there's coming a day when he's coming back. There's coming a day when he would return. There's coming a day when he hasn't given up. He hasn't uh, uh, just faded away. This, this isn't it, but this is just the beginning of what I've called you to do. Don't check out. Don't disengage. And so the story goes on and says this. And when he uh, went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, this is his final ascent to the holy city. This is the last leg of the journey that began over there in Luke 9 that I was telling you about. And it says in verse 29, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in, in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied and on which uh, no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away uh, and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying this colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. The story unwinds just like Jesus said. I mean, you don't see anything else happen there. I mean, I love the intentionality of Jesus. I love, I love how he just calls his shots. I mean, we miss that so often in the scriptures. Jesus says that something's going to happen, and then what happens, It happens. Jesus says something's going to unfold, and what happens? It unfolds, and it takes place just like he says. I mean, this is phenomenal. I'm like, dude, my coat? 50 bucks. What's in your backpack? Give me, I mean, no, none of that. You just tell him that the Lord needs it. And what happens? The guy just gives it to him. They brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks. Verse 35, they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. I mean, get, get, let's get our minds around this. 
Jesus sends two of his disciples to go get this colt, which no one has ever ridden on. I mean, I'm not a big like horse dude, but that's, I mean, that, that's pretty big in and of itself. And, and really what that shows and symbolizes this is that it's fitting for a royal entry. Fitting for a royal entry. And so the disciples, they put their garments on that coat out of what respect for Jesus. Why? Because he's the coming king of Israel. I mean, this is kind of the entrance reserved for royalty, for the king. And so what do we see? We see Jesus coming in this moment, how in meekness and humility, how just like Zechariah foretold, just how the prophets of old foretold. So despite the joy and the praise of the disciples, what we know is that Jerusalem still doesn't receive its king. Jerusalem still doesn't recognize its king. Verse 37 says this, And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for, for all the mighty works that they had seen. So as Jesus is making his ascent, and they're reminded of, they think of, they, they know of all the things that Jesus had accomplished, all the things that Jesus had done. They remember those things. And, and it wells up in them praise. It wells up in them crying out. I mean, think about all that he had done, right? He had healed leprosy, how? With just a touch. Uh, he heals leprosy with a touch. He's made the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. I mean, he's done all of those things. But just speaking, but just touching, but just, but just thinking in that direction. What else has he done? He's commanded the unclean spirits. And what happens? The unclean spirits obey him. The very demons obey him and shudder. Those stories had spread throughout. They knew that. They knew that he had stilled the storm and walked on the sea. That he had turned the five loaves and the two fish into a meal for thousands. They knew the stories. So as he enters Jerusalem, they, they knew in their heart that there wasn't a thing that could stop this Jesus. That there wasn't nothing that anyone could do to Jesus. This is the king we've waited for. That's what they're thinking. He's finally here. And he's going to set us free. And he's going to put us back in our rightful position. We won't be dominated anymore. We won't be owned anymore. We won't be abused anymore. I mean, why would you dare go against someone like that? I mean, he, he could just speak. And in that moment of speaking, Pilate could just perish. The Romans would be scattered. And they knew that. That's what they had hoped for and longed for. So they were excited. They were excited about this new day. All the while being blinded to the reality of what's going on. They were looking for a king. Of their own making. While Jesus was coming in a different way. Jesus was going to accomplish in a much different way. And church, if I could just talk to you for a moment, a little side note, this is free type stuff, not in the notes here. That's the way we win. That's the way we win. We don't fight punch for punch. We don't fight word for word. We don't bow up and get, get however... No, we're, we're meek and we are mild and we love and we serve and we care for. That's how we make a difference. That's, that's how we win this world. We don't fight against. No, we just 
serve and love. We're taken advantage of. We just serve and love. We're mistreated and abused. We just serve and love and pray for. That's how we do. Jesus was the model of how we're to be. And again, here in this moment, he's doing the same thing, and they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. They're excited, but they're blinded by what they wanted, what they had hoped for. And I don't know where you're at this morning in this place, but maybe years ago somebody told you about Jesus and they told you how your life would get better if you just give your life to Christ. How you would get everything that you've ever hoped for. Your best life now is hogwash. It's ridiculous. I don't want my best life now. I'm not buying what you're selling. If this is my best life now, then you know what you've got coming? You know what's, you know what's going to happen to you for all eternity? I don't want my best life now. I want my best life there and forever. And so I don't, I don't know, maybe you, you've bought that lie or you've, you've drank that Kool-Aid or, or you've heard that before. But I would be willing to bet, be willing to say to you this, that if, that if you come to Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. You'll be made whole. You'll be uh, redeemed and saved. <coughs> and if anything, all hell will break loose. Oh, hell will break loose in your life, in your world. Well, because you're an enemy now. You're an enemy of the world. You're an enemy of Satan. You're an enemy of his demons and his army. When you were a part of his team, he didn't care. You're, you're doing your thing. You're living your life for your glory, for your honor. May do a sprinkling some nice things here and there. But when you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, man, you are redeemed and rescued and you are identified now. And you are against everything that this world stands for. It, what I've learned in my short life of living for Jesus is that when we stand up and we say those things, we're marked people now. We're bigots, we're hateful, we're zealous. There's all kinds of uh, uh, words and adjectives to describe us. Knowing good and well that that's not the case, that's not our heart. And but the thing that we get when we come to faith in Jesus is greater than anything that this world could offer. Greater than anything that this world can offer. Greater than anything that we could ever want physically here. See, that's why it should be so hard to hurt us. That's why it should be so hard, hard to upset us, to frustrate us, to get us off kilter. Because we live with open hands. Stuff's not my stuff anyways. My house is not my house. My car is not my car. My bank account's not my bank account. Open-handed. My life and my time's not my life and my time. It belongs to him. I've been purchased with the price. And so I'm going to live that way. I've got no preconceived notions of what Jesus owes me. Because you know what he owes me? <clears throat> he owes me nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because he's given me everything already through the cross. And if he never does another thing for me, he's already done too much. But the people in this day were blinded by what they wanted. And it didn't match up to who Jesus was. But they go on and they, they, they do this in verse 38. This is how they cry out, they, his disciples saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, Jesus was a king, but not just any king. He was one who was sent and appointed by God. 
They knew how Isaiah described him. They knew how the prophet Isaiah had said this. They would be very well-schooled in Old Testament and, and the prophets. And so Isaiah 9 says this. It'll be on the screen. It says, of the increase of his government. Whose government? God's government. How's God going to establish that government? Through Jesus. They knew that there was a Messiah coming. They knew that there was a king coming. And there's going to be this increase in his government. And of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, that's a prophetic scripture about Jesus. And there are many more to go along with this. And that's what the people of this day were looking for. See, Jesus is over a universal, never-ending kingdom backed by the zeal of God. And so here was the king of the universe who today rules over the nations, the galaxies, and even our current situation in our world. That's who's being described and foretold. That's what they were looking for. That's what they were hoping for, but in a way that pleased them. In a way that would fulfill them in that moment. Back to, back to Luke, Luke 39, it says this, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, the Pharisees are the religious of the religious. The hypocritical ones that would expect out of you what they wouldn't even do themselves. That were supposed to know the law. That were supposed to be familiar with. They were, they, they were supposed to be teaching others. All the while just weighing them down with rules and regulations and ex expectations that they didn't even live up to. And so they start to rebuke Jesus. Get on to him. Tell him to stop this nonsense with your disciples. And look at his answer. I love it in verse 40. He answered them and says, I tell you, if these were silenced, the very stones would cry out. And I love that. I, I, I love the picture that Jesus paints there. You can try and shut them up if you want to. But the very creation is yearning. The very creation is worshiping this moment, understanding what's taking place in this day. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, we lose our wonder and excitement and we kind of get old and crusty and we think of ourselves as dignified and, and we've got to be adults and put together and, and look all... And we got, I mean, but, but, but what Jesus is saying is, is you can try and shut them up if you want to, but if you do, I'm just going to warn you because this creation is going to exclaim who I am. This creation is going to worship if they don't. You can't stop what's happening right now. You can't silence it. You can't quiet. You can't quit it. This world understands what's going on. This broken world longs for, longs for the day for everything to be established the way it was at creation. And he says, you can try to slow it down. You can try to stop it. You can try to shut them up you do that, these rocks will cry out. See, see, Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew that the Pharisees would think that they would get the upper hand, that the people would be fickle and follow their own leaders, that Jesus knew he'd be rejected and crucified, and within a generation the city would be wiped out. He, he knew what was coming. He knew what was at hand. He knew what was about to take place. 
And look, as he says in verse 43, he says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. And your children within you, they'll not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. They didn't understand and know what was taking place at this time. God in the flesh visits the city. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him, is what the book of John teaches. He was there amongst them, God in the flesh. And they were so blinded by their own desires, their own wants, their own longings of what the king would be like, that they didn't even know the time of their visitation. They missed the visit because they were so concerned about their preconceived notions, their preconceived desires. So they stumble over the stumbling stone. The builders rejected the stone and they threw it away. Jesus saw the sin. He saw this rebellion. He saw this blindness coming. He knew that in this moment, though they may be crying out, some of them, they may be acting like, they may, they may think in the moment, get caught up in the emotion of. He, he knew the heart of man. And that's why it takes him to verse 41. And he says this, he says, and when, and when he drew near and saw that city, he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day that things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. As he enters in, he's broken over the reality of what these people don't even see and get. They don't even see it. He's moved so much that he begins to weep. He begins to weep over the city. He begins to weep over these people. And he's broken over what's happening at a very deep level. And I guess my thought as I, as I read this and I just think about our world and I think about where we're at and I think about uh, who we know Jesus to be. When was the last time you, you've wept over someone who don't know him as Lord and Savior? I mean, I mean, we live in a culture and a world today where we get so quick to get mad and to fight and to get aggravated and to, to post some cute little scripture uh, and, and do things like that. But, but, but when have you been broken over somebody who doesn't know Christ? When have you allowed the weight of that reality of what they have coming if they're not rescued and redeemed and made right. When was the last time you felt that weight? When you've talked to a neighbor or you've talked to a coworker, or you know a family member who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so Jesus is broken over this. They've missed the whole thing. You, you want to see God? Look at me. He's here. I'm God. And they didn't even see it. They didn't even recognize it. They didn't even realize it. And so he's broken over the fact that they've missed it. That they don't even see what's going on around them right now. Like I can remember for me, and so I, like I'll go back and I'll kind of just like like search like search my heart sometimes and try to uh, go back and remember certain things and and how I've gotten to where I am today and why okay why what has God put here or done there or taken here or, or removed from that from me like like what God has done to kind of get me to the place where I'm at today to uh, to to stir in me certain like passions and desires and and longings and and things like that and I can remember sitting in seventh grade. 
was it, was it Mrs. Casebolt? Was that her name? I think it was Mrs. Casebolt. It was English. I, I was sitting there in seventh grade, and, and I can remember looking. I had, I had a, like a distant cousin in that class, and I can remember looking to him, and Easter was kind of approaching, and I was kind of having this conversation. And I didn't have a clue how to share the Gospels in the seventh grade. I didn't have a clue at all. I, I, I wasn't even close. But I can just remember, and I just did everything that I knew to do as a seventh, seventh grader. And I was talking to my cousin. And I said, hey, t- tell, me, tell me what you think about Jesus. He's like, I don't think much. I said, what? Yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> Jesus, okay. I said, no, man, no. No, 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 Jesus. Remember he goes to the cross and he dies for our sin? And he raises again? That's what we're about to celebrate here soon? I said, okay. I said, dude. What has that done in your life? Nothing? Cool story? I said, no, 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 no. I said, I mean, you, you've, you've got to believe in who he is. He's like, I don't believe. And I had no clue what to say. I was taken back by. I'm like, you're kidding. No, I just don't believe. I said, but you got to, man. Why? I said, because you'll go to hell. I won't go. I said, no, you will. How do you know that? Well, the, Bible, the Bible says it. That's why Jesus dies for us. I just don't believe it. And, and I can remember that day, and that, this is about as far as it went up, but I can, I can remember that day, that conversation, that, that feeling of, of I, I, I couldn't convince him. I, like, I couldn't shake him. Like, I, couldn't, I couldn't get him to look. Like, I just, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and I can remember walking away just being devastated from that, thinking, oh, dear God, please don't, please don't kill him. Please don't let him die. Please don't. And throughout school, we like drifted away. And, I, and now that, I mean, I've been down here for so long, I, I, don't, I don't know where he's at. But, but I, can just, I can remember that conversation. And I believe God used that to shape me and mold me all the more for the desire to share the gospel with people. To tell people the truth about, about who Jesus is. And that's nowhere, that's nowhere even close to what Jesus would be feeling in this moment. To think this group of people who he's coming to die for, to rescue and redeem, and they didn't even get it, they didn't even care. They wanted Jesus for what he could do for them now in that moment. And their preconceived notion of that. We don't want a king to rule with compassion, humility, grace. We don't don't want a soft king. We want a king that's going to destroy, rightfully put us back into prominence. Shut them down, tear them out. That, that's what they were longing for and they wanted. And they missed it. They missed it. I don't care what my king can physically do. I don't care what any king, what any ruler or leader can physically do or, or try to uh, make happen. But this ruler, this king, kicks death in the teeth and walks out of the grave. That's the king I want. That's what I need. I mean, do whatever physically you want to, but, but you can't touch my soul. You can't, you can't touch me. Because it's sealed in who Jesus Christ is and what he's accomplished through the, through the cross and through his resurrection. That's the king they were getting, and they missed it. I mean, does that not sound like our world? Does that not sound like the very day we live in? 
Everybody is cool and okay with Jesus until the moment you say that he is king of kings and lord of lords and the moment that there's an expectation that you have to do something with him. The world's cool with Jesus being a good teacher, which he's not, by the standard of being a good teacher, if you don't land at the place that he's got in the flesh. The world is cool with Jesus being a prophet, again, which he is not, if you don't land at the place that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. See, if we don't land at that place that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, then, then we have to land at the place that he's a liar and a lunatic. What good teacher do you know that stands up and says that he is uh, the Son of God in the flesh? I mean, that's horrible teaching. Like, if I was to tell you that today about me, I mean, that's, that's an awful, t- unless I am in fact him, which that's exactly who Jesus is. So he can't be a good teacher. He can't be a moral guy. He can't be a, a good prophet. He can only be the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And in this moment, they're missing it. Just like our world's missing it. Just like our world. And, and so I sit back and I think, why? How? How, how have we got to? And, and I, can, I can remember having conversations throughout this whole uh, pandemic time that we're, we're still in it. And so I'm, I'm not taken away from that. But, but this whole crazy time that we're in with the, with the pandemic, with, with everything that's going on with COVID-19. And I can, and I can remember that. And then even leading, leading up to the election. And, and I, what do we do? How do we fight? We fight on our knees. And we fight with grace and mercy. And we fight with living out who Jesus is. And we fight with, with love. I mean, that's how we fight. And as I was just, I mean, thinking about all of those things, we fight with just telling people who Jesus is. That's how we fight, church. That's how we do it. We, we live him out. All these things that he has said and accomplished, we believe it so much so that it changes absolutely everything about us. That's what salvation is. It's not, oh yeah, I just believe. Yeah, I believe. I mean, I believe a lot of things that, that does absolutely nothing for me in my life. But this does absolutely everything for me. It changes absolutely everything about me. The way that I respond, the way that I talk, the way that I think, the way that I parent, the way that I'm an employee, the way that I, that I play and have fun and enjoy, the way that, the way that I, I rest, the way that I interact. I mean, it changes absolutely everything about me. And that's what our world needs to see today. That this is Jesus who rides in on a colt. Because he is the king. And this king is going to rule and reign in a way that this world has never seen before. And we have the opportunity as citizens of the kingdom to come up under that leadership and be reflections of our king. That's what we have the privilege and honor to do. And I believe with everything in me, that's what will change the very course of this world. Not us posting a little rant on Facebook or throwing up some verses that are really hard and harsh toward people that have different views than us or live different ways than us. 
You want to impact those people? Take them out of coffee. Begin a relationship with them. You, you want to impact? Love people who think different. Act, love lost people. No, just love lost people. Have them in your house, but, but, but they may. What if they, they probably will. And they should, shouldn't they? They're lost. They should act like lost people. They should talk like lost people. They should think like lost people. They should respond like lost people. They should do all the things that lost people do. Why? Because they're lost. And lost people are only going to act how? Like lost people. And we're called to love lost people. We're called to care for lost people. Like like you get, you don't catch sin from sinners, right? That's just already in you. But thank God He rescues and redeems us through the cross. And now we're made whole. Now we're made right. Now we're declared righteous because of what He's done. And now we have the privilege and honor to do the same, to tell other people about that. And so we get engaged, we talk about, we share with. That's how we reach our world. That's what we do. And so as I look at this and as I think about this, I just can't begin to think how Jesus felt in this moment. All of these people in this moment celebrating him. All the while, just in a few short days, they would reject him with the cries of what? Crucify. With the cries of crucify. And what I would warn you of, church, is don't come here and celebrate the name of Jesus on a Sunday and you live like hell on a Tuesday. Because all you're doing is giving the cry of crucify. It, if Jesus isn't great enough and good enough and glorious enough to be worshipped uh, uh, Monday through Saturday, you're not doing it on a Sunday. And that's what the people didn't get. They didn't see. They would scatter and be nowhere to be found. So as the band comes back up, rather than seeing Jesus' triumphal entry for what it was, a fulfillment of prophecy. What happens here is that many are so concerned with keeping their own power and authority that they miss the very Son of God. They miss the very Messiah. I mean, how many times have you missed something because you wasn't focused on the right thing? You were looking at something else. Consumed with, with that that wasn't important. Or just looking at what would happen I mean, like, have you ever seen those pictures where you've got to find the one thing, like the one thing that's sticking out in there? And, and so I begin at the top left, and I begin to work my way down. That's how I do it. I, I'm a top left, and let's go, let's scan this thing. But the problem is, whenever I get about halfway, I'm like, oh, cool, look at that thing. Yeah, that right there. I, look at that part of the picture. Holy cow, there's a fish riding a unicycle. And I'll just keep, and I'm like, what am I looking for again? I have to go back down to the bottom and I have to, oh, okay, I'm, I'm looking for this. And so I start at the left. Then I begin to scan again, only to do the same thing and miss what I'm looking for because I get so consumed and wrapped up in all the other stuff in the picture. I mean, what I would encourage you this morning is, is don't miss it. Don't get consumed with all the other stuff. I mean, keep your eyes and your heart focused on Christ. Focused on Christ. I mean, in our fast-paced world, it's so easy to trade the important for the, uh, for the momentary. And so Jesus wants to enter in, and he wants to be the main point of everything in your life. Everything. But I fear that we're missing it because we're so focused on something else or paying attention to something else. 
And so maybe for you this week, what you can do is you can just disconnect for a little bit. Spend less time in certain areas. Spend more time praying. Spend more time reading scripture. Spend more time talking to your kids about the Lord and what this week's all about. Maybe helping your neighbor this week or doing something with your neighbor or taking one of these cards and handing to somebody and saying, hey, I would love, I would absolutely love if you'd be my guest Sunday. Something else our church is doing is cool. They're going to offer free pictures, free family pictures. I mean, there's a number of ways, number of ways to do it. Like one of the things that we're going to do starting Monday is we're going to put out on, on Facebook and on our app just a, a weekly reading this week to kind of tune our hearts, orient our hearts all the more around what this, this week stands for, Holy Week. Uh, Thursday night we're going to gather in this place. We're going to lift high the name of Jesus. We're going to be reminded of, what, of what's coming this weekend, what that means for us in our faith. As we celebrate Monday, Thursday, we've got the crosses. We've got some pretty cool things planned for, for Thursday night to, to orient our heart around that reality. And I would encourage you, don't miss, don't miss who Jesus is, especially this week, especially as, as we look toward the empty tomb. So my hope is that we don't miss him. Don't be distracted. Don't let your attention be taken to something of less importance that will leave you at a place you don't want to be. Father, help us this morning in this place to focus back in on. Father, to be reminded of who you are, what this week stands for. Father, they missed it that day. Dear God, don't let us miss it. Do whatever you have to do. And we pray. Amen. If you stay in the band's going to lead us this morning. If you want to come pray, if you want us to pray for you, if we can serve you in any way, please do not hesitate to let us know.